Thank you, Parker and Catherine, and choir and Dan for leading us in, in beautiful music today. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. I know that these are troubling days in our own community and really a Across the globe, and we've come up with a statement and a policy, and this statement and policy was made at the advice of numerous medical professionals, so this is a game plan for First Baptist Church. We want to contribute to the health of our community, but not to any hysteria. This week, with the advice of those responsible for allocating health care resources in Amarillo, we made the difficult decision to cancel two mission trips. And concerning our, our worship this morning, common sense is really the best cure. Please observe the following principles. And you can find this on our website. If you are sick, stay at home. Don't say it's just a respiratory or an allergy. If you are chronically coughing or sneezing or your child is, stay at home. If you yourself have a compromised health condition or feel you yourself are susceptible to the virus, stay at home. Translated, if you are either ill or ill at ease, stay at home. Until the virus vanishes, we're going to have a no handshake. This is going to be the hardest on me. No handshake, no hug policy, just say hi. And if someone reaches out, you just say it's the law of the Medes and Persians in these hallways, you can't do it. Keep a clear perspective. As of today, there are no known cases of the virus in Amarillo. Perhaps there will be, but we can only operate on what we know, not on what we speculate. Number five, please know that our staff, custodial staff, are doing everything possible to provide you with a safe environment. We have additional custodial help available today to ensure that all bathrooms have ample soap and paper towels. Our hallways have disinfected handrails and common touch places are safe. We also assure that all of our disinfectant stations are well supplied and we already had a pre-existing contract with Germ Blast to ensure that our preschool facilities are regularly sanitized, not just through this. This is always for us with the very best technology available. For the next few weeks, we'll be taking the offering plate at the door. Ushers will be posted so you will not have to, quote, pass the offering plate. Number seven, assess your own risk. Remember, you can always watch us on television or on the website the same day as the service. You make financial contributions online by text, automatic draft, or by mailing in your offering. Of course, we always want you here under ordinary circumstances. 
There is no substitute for the gathered presence of the people of God. Jesus is incarnational. He is present in the flesh. During these days, however, if you have concerns for your own safety, or you're in a category that puts you at risk, or you fear you put others at risk, we understand first and foremost your need to protect yourself and to protect others. Pray that we will all have wisdom as we face we don't know what we're going to face during these difficult days, but of all people, God's people can face them with grace and with hope. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, the gospel of Mark chapter 10, an upside down message. She was an old maid in every sense of the word. Now, my part is to elderly ladies in our congregation who never married. You might not fit the stereotypical image of an old maid, but I guarantee you Ms. Short did. Ms. Short was the band director at Severe Junior High School. She was so old that she was around when the Dead Sea was just sick. <laughs> she had been teaching band for about 40 years and... I look back and assess that was about 20 years too long. <laughs> she gifted yours truly with the ability to play the trumpet, but she would whack you, literally whack you with her baton. She would belittle you personally and humiliate you in front of the rest of the middle school band and occasionally even put a clothespin on your nose. You can't find teachers like this anymore. I mean, she was, <laughs> she was hardcore. Yes, a big wooden spring-tight clamp-shut clothespin. When you play a brass instrument, you are supposed to breathe through your mouth, not through your nose. But Miss Short could hear a nose breather from a mile apart, even over all the brass. Lewis Mix played the tuba, and she would hear Lewis's breathing through his nose. After two warnings on the third nose-breathing offense, she walked over and put the clothespin, the spring tight, right on top of Lewis's snout. His eyes filled up with water. The pain was so hard on his nose, the embarrassment in front of the rest of the junior high band. And then she said, now play, Lewis, and play without breathing through your nose. Wow. Well, one day, Ms. Short called for an extra practice after school. She gave very little notice. Some of us weren't able to get in touch with our parents. And after it was time for parents to pick you up, four of us were still hanging around the school. And we just happened to live on Ms. Short's way home. So she ordered the four of us to get in the car. I'll give you a ride. She knew she'd have to stay till the very last one of us was gone. So she was just going to take us home. When you're in junior high, there is something very special about riding shotgun, riding in the front seat, no airbags in those days. Forget the facts that it's the seat of death by every measurable standard. We wanted to ride shotgun then, and we still want to ride shotgun now. Now, while Ms. Short was still in there packing her bags, we made our way toward her car, and, well, I'd always imagined she just rode home on a broom, but she actually had... <laughs> She actually had a big Buick. For some reason, three of us decided we were going to race to ride shotgun with Miss Short. 
I don't know why we wanted to ride up front with her, but somebody thought it was a good idea. I think it was just a thrill of the competition. You know, I wasn't going to be outdone. So we started running. I was running. My trumpet case was swinging in my hand. I was two feet away from tagging the shotgun door of Miss Short's big Buick when David Brooks, a clarinet player, don't ever trust clarinet players, a clarinet player, made a dive to touch the door, and he hit my trumpet case, and it hit Ms. Short's Buick car door. It was a bad sound. <laughs> we looked up, and there was a brown mark from my trumpet case that long across her white Buick door. We all stared at our feet and tried to recover from the shock. Thank goodness Ms. Short was still in her office packing her bags. Well, but there was a mark there, and it was my trumpet case that had made the mark. Let me just say the clothespin was light punishment compared to what David Brooks and I received. We endured the tongue lashing of our lives, and I wasn't accustomed to tongue lashings, and it didn't feel very good. And Ms. Short looked us eye to eye and pointed her finger in our face and told her the paint would never match, and our parents would have to paint the whole Buick. And, man, I was scared to death. Wow. For some reason, we wanted to ride shotgun. I'm happy to say that a little compound paste in a rag took off the little mark and there was, there was no dent in her door. Next to my salvation, that was the happiest day <laughs> in my life. For some reason, we all want to be up front, even if it's Miss Short as a driver. Because somebody else might get that position from us. And our story this morning, that's exactly what's happening to the sons of thunder, Zebedee's boys, James and John. They're racing for that front seat. Look at verse 35 of Mark 10. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, that's a trick question. Every parent of a teenager has been asked that question before. Will you do something for me? Do not ever say yes until you clarify what the inquiry is. That's the Jesus way. You ask, what is it you want me to do for you? Well, they lay it out. We want to ride shotgun, verse 37. Grant, we may sit. Have you noticed the power of this? Grant us that we may sit in your glory. James and John want the glory of the Christ. One on your right and one on your left. Just promise us when you come into your kingdom in Jerusalem, as we make our way there, you're going to let us be co-regents with you, sitting at the right and the left hand of the seat of glory. Now, the request is completely out of context Especially when you realize, look at verse 32, and they were on the hodos. They were on the way, or they were on the road, however you want to translate hodos. In Mark's gospel, being on the road means Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crucified. Sometimes hodos is translated road, sometimes it's translated the way. Turn back to chapter 9, verse 33. He began to question them, what were you talking about on the hodos? 
on the way. It's remarkable how much alike chapter 9 and chapter 10 are. In both chapters, Jesus is talking about his suffering. He gives more detail in chapter 10, but in both instances, he begins to predict his pain and his passion, his suffering and his sorrow, his crucifixion and his crown, and the disciples on both occasions miss the mark. They continue to dream that Jesus is going to set up an earthly kingdom. Oh, if there's a little bit of a hard time getting there, Lord, we'll do that with you. But as long as we get to share in your glory. These are two interesting passages about the hodos, the way, these road passages. They're on the way, the hodos, the road to Calvary. Well, look at chapter 9, verse 31. This is the second time Jesus has predicted his suffering. The first time Peter tells him, I'm not going to let that happen. 931. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered up into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand his statement and they were afraid to ask him. You see, Jesus clearly predicts his passion, but they don't get it. Look at verse 33. When they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he questioned them, what were you discussing on the Hodas? What were you talking about on the way? The way means a way to crucifixion and mark. But they kept silent, for they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. Sitting them down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Notice greatness and servanthood are here paired together. 936, he takes a child, someone of the lowest calculation in the first century, no rights, no privileges, and says, you got to receive the humblest to be like me. The question, what were you talking about on the way, caused embarrassed silence. It's almost a comic picture. Jesus is on the way, the hodos, the road to Calvary, and they're behind him fighting over who could be next. If they had known he was going to Calvary, they would have wanted to be last. They think he's going to glory, a throne. They want to sit the right and the left hands. So they are positioning themselves in a pecking order next to be in line. And Jesus takes a child, and that culture has no authority, no status, no power, no influence, and says, great disciples show humble service to the humble. Serving in humility and trying not to be noticed. The UPI released a story years ago about a young leukemia patient who had a special friendship he enjoyed during the course of his illness. The little boy with leukemia was P.J. Dragon, D-R-A-G-A-N, P.J. Dragon. He was only five years of age when he was diagnosed with leukemia. And soon after, he began to get a series 
of cheery notes and cards and little gifts and goodies that were brightening his spirit. And on every one of these, there was a big green bow on all the gifts that came his way. And each one was simply signed, Magic Dragon. Magic Dragon. In fact, one of his favorite, well, his favorite gift of all the gifts that the magic dragon gave him was a little stuffed animal, a green dragon that began to be the embodiment of the magic dragon and all the gifts and encouragement that P.J. received. The dragon became his constant companion. In fact, the, the dragon went through whatever test that P.J. was going through, went to the hospital, was in the hospital bed right along with P.J., as PJ's sickness continued, the gifts never, ever waned. Tragically, despite all the best medical effort, efforts, PJ lost his battle with leukemia. At his funeral, you might imagine the largest bouquet was a huge spray of daisies all tied up with enormous green bow signed again magic dragon the final gift of the secret friend no one ever discovered the magic dragon's identity the parents tried for a while they made some initial inquiries and then they wisely decided it would only be appropriate to let the magic dragon stay anonymous to both honor him and his relationship with pj Magic Dragon saw an opportunity to reach out in love and risk serving another without any desire for reward or recognition. Thank you, Magic Dragon, for teaching us how to serve. One of the most difficult challenges we'll ever face as human beings is well, the challenge to serve without recognition. It's a battle against our own ego to self-serve and selflessness. Our egos crave recognition like a hummingbird craves nectar. We want to be patted on the back. We want to be told well done for our sacrifices. We want the affirmation and approval of the people around us. Well, we, we get things upside down, don't we? If you ever serve like Jesus, you'll serve in humble silence. If you ever serve like Jesus, you'll serve in humble silence. But it's hard. It's hard not to want to see your name on the bulletin or a plaque in the hallway. It's hard to serve selflessly. Now back to Mark chapter 10. Jesus sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem, his final destiny. He will boldly confront all the forces awaiting him. He fervently presses towards the fate which he has predicted for himself amidst a dual atmosphere of amazement on the part of the crowd and fear on the part of his followers. The crowd is made up of pilgrims on their way to the Passover festival, is caught up in the thrill of the messianic expectation. But those closest to Jesus... Since a supernatural foreboding filling the air, after all, what prophet ever went to Jerusalem and was well received? In fact, what prophet ever went to Jerusalem in the Old Testament and even made it out with his life? 
Facing their fear, Jesus calls the twelves aside for the third time, and he tells them, verse 33, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'll be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn me to death. They'll deliver me over the Gentiles, the Romans. They'll mock me, spit upon me, scourge me, kill me. And after three days, I'll rise again. Verse 34 makes 35 unbelievable. I hope there's some time there. But every time Jesus is on the hodos, going to the crucifixion, telling them about his suffering, the disciples are in dispute over who's the greatest. The sons of Zebedee, hey, will you give us whatever we ask you to give us? Can we be crown princesses with you on the co-thrones with the Christ? You don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism which I'm going to be baptized? The cup in the Old Testament is what? Always the wrath of God, Isaiah 51. Rouse yourself, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling you have drained down to the dregs. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus says, take what from me? Take this cup from me. The cup of the Old Testament is the wrath of God. James and John, do you really want to be where I'm going? Can you drink the cup, the cross I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized? Are you willing to die with me? Can you be plunged in the calamity of the waters and share my faith? Oh, yeah. We can, say James and John. If there's a little bit of pain along the way, we'll be okay as long as we get your glory. Acts 12, 2 tells us that James of these two is killed by Herod with a sword. Put to death with a sword, Acts 2, 2. In fact, James does drink the cup. And suffer the baptism. John exiled to Patmos, taking places he didn't want to go. And the other disciples are angry. They're not angry, they're angry because they didn't think of it first. The James and John have made a move at just the right time. They're racing to ride shotgun and they're angry. They're getting to positions of power. We all want to be the greatest, don't we? We struggle in the playpen as a preschooler for our favorite toy. As teens, we desperately want to be the first one chosen to pick up basketball game. In high school, we hang out with certain people in certain places and act in certain particular ways in order to find our, our niche, our place in the pecking order. As a businessman, we butter up the boss in hopes of gaining the promotion. And an elderly woman, otherwise gentle and gracious, turns into a competitive beast in the heat of a seemingly innocent board game. We want to win, don't we? We might could all sing the little ditty together. I like me, I love me, myself I do adore. And every day and every way, I love me more and more. You see what the Gentiles do, he says in chapter 10 and verse 42. The Gentiles, they lord it over, folks, those rulers, but not you. 
Whoever wants to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for ransom for many. You, you can't be like the Gentiles. We don't have the diagram in the chart like the Gentiles. What we say in the kingdom, Jesus says, if you want to be the CEO, you need to be the servant. You need to wash the most feet, he will show them in a bit. The world kicks and pushes for pecking order and power and prestige and recognition. Jesus says, no. How can we know for certain that this humble service is the right way? We can know because the greatest of all, Jesus himself, came down not to be served, but rather he came to serve. Gordon McDonald said, you can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. He paid the ransom. You see that word? The price you pay to free a slave. Verse 45. He paid for our sins. This is atonement language so that we could be be free. A 14-year-old girl was being interviewed just before the election of Pope John Paul II. A CBS newscaster roamed up and down the streets of the Vatican City and posed the question to the people in the crowd, what would you do if you were the Pope? When they came to this 14-year-old girl, they asked her, if you were the Pope, what would you do? And she said, I'd cover the communion wafers in chocolate. (laughs) Now that's our problem, isn't it? That's what we've already done. We have, power, we have a power-hungry, sweet-toothed discipleship in our churches today. We wrap the gospel like a package of success and happiness, so the Bible looks like a box of spiritual chocolates and feel-goods, and the results are deadly. Do you know Held Rubenstein, a cookbook author, has a cookbook entitled Death by Chocolate. It'd be a good way to go, I'd admit. Death by Chocolate. It's a fitting title for the effect on the church of our preference, not for pain, not the raw gospel, but rather we want chocolate-covered communion wafers. Jesus offers no chocolate. Can you drink this cup? Can you be baptized like I'm going to be baptized? Will you suffer on the cross? The word cross is not a nice word. It's rough and splintery. It's not a silver piece of jewelry. Those don't exist. It's not a chocolate-covered communion wafer. Jesus came to suffer, verse 45, to pay the ransom, to pay for my sins and your sins. San Diego minister Mark Trotter tells of a time when he and his wife had the great privilege to spend an informal evening with Robert Frost. He was impressed by the great poet's humility. In fact, the the poet would just say, I'm just a, a Vermont farmer. And Trotter recalls how Archibald McLeish, another great poet, once introduced Robert Frost when he said, no matter what happens to him, Robert Frost always comes out a little more like himself. 
humility. James and John didn't have Robert Frost's humility. You see, when you're in the kingdom of God, when you've chosen to walk on the hodos, well, I, everything, and I mean everything, is upside down. The last are first. The first are last. Let us pray. Oh, God, remind us today as we grab for power and prestige for recognition that if we're going to follow you, we're on the way, we're on the hodos to the cross. Help us this morning, oh God, to be like a Jesus who washes feet. A creator of the cosmos who takes up the towel. May we be reminded that the greatest one to ever walk this earth came not to be served, but to serve. And then he turns and tells us, if he, the master, does things like this, then we all the more. Oh, God, forgive us when we have thought more of ourselves than we ought, when we have looked for our name, we've tried to fight for the seat. May we be humble servants. May we give without being recognized. May we serve without a plaque. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.